1: Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. And that is the case today, as we welcome for the very first time, John Robinson, co-founder and CEO of Blueprint Investment partners. They work with advisory firms providing investment and practice management services. And uh, he speaks to us from their headquarters in Greensboro, North Carolina. John, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio.
0: Hey, Charlie. Thank you uh, for having me. It's good to be with you.
1: So, John, uh, you started. uh, We're we're one of the co-founders there of Blueprint Investing. And uh, you were previously with Bear Stearns. That's possibly a story for another day, John and uh, prudential equity. And so, uh, tell us, give us first of all a little longer background of yours.
0: Sure. Yeah. Happy to do that. Um, well, you know, I, for me, the, the bear stern story is, um, is a happy one. Um, I fortunately was, was not there towards the end. Um, but yeah, my background started, my career started really in, in trading and market making for, um, for Bear Stearns for a subsidiary of their specialist arm uh, called Bear Wagner specialist. And, you know, when you come from a small town in North Carolina and uh, don't have a Rolodex or any family members that have a Rolodex to Wall Street firms, you have to get a little creative in terms of how, how, how are you going to get a job? So uh, what I did was I got creative the best way I could and knew how, So I scoured the New York Stock Exchange member firm database and found that there was someone at a firm called Bear Stearns, and his name was Mike Winchell, and he was the head of chief risk officer, and that he had gone to the University of North Carolina at Greensboro like I did. We got different degrees, but uh, he was the only person I knew from UNC Greensboro that, that worked on Wall Street in any sort of prominent position. So I thought to myself, okay, how do I, I can't call them. I won't get through. I can't show up because security won't let me in. So what do I do? And I said, basically surmised that, look, if I send a FedEx package, no one turns down a FedEx package. So I wrote a letter, I typed, you know, uh, printed out a letter that was as persuasive as I could be to give me a shot or at least give me a call and fedexed it and two days later he called me uh invited me up for an interview and um one week after i graduated i started work on the stock exchange floor that was uh my initial you know foray into trading on the new york stock exchange and then i moved into equity research because i thought if i want to be a portfolio manager then having a trading and and then a, a more analytically um in-depth job like equity research would really prepare me for that. What I didn't realize is that
1: I've got to interrupt you for just a second and congratulate you. Uh, We have heard the introduction (laughs) and the brief bio of uh, about 375 guests and what you have just given us is the most innovative, the most interesting thing (laughs) anybody's ever said about how they got their first job. And if people start getting FedExes throughout the country, we know that the reach of our show has been significant and your influence has been felt throughout the nation. So John, congratulations here.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that compliment. And if our our friends at FedEx in Memphis are listening. They they can send shares to our address, which <laughs> would be on our website. Oh, okay. you know, so
1: so from there you ended up starting uh, a Blueprint uh, Investment Partners, and when was that, John?
0: Yeah, we started Blueprint in 2013 with the uh, really the same portfolio management and, and operational management team that came from a predecessor firm. Uh, called Robinson Langley capital. That was a commodity trading advisor where we ran future strategies, systematic future strategies and a futures fund that we started in 2007. So blueprint okay, was you, really the B2 of that.
1: And John, if you've been in the futures market and uh, the equities markets will seem a little boring after the futures market.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, well, not lately. Um, But certainly, you know, the historically low volatility environment we've been in largely since uh, since 08. Yeah, I mean, I guess the um, I'll trade the uh, relative excitement for lower blood pressure.
1: Yeah, I can appreciate that. Okay, so so tell us about Blueprint Investment Partners, what you guys do and how you do it.
0: Yeah, so Blueprint creates um, systematic. Process-driven investment strategies, as you mentioned, for financial advisors mostly and and institutions. Uh, we don't have any individual clients of our own. This is something that really sets us apart from other money managers in that we we never want to we always want to be on the same side of the table as as our partner, the advisor. And so our clients are at least 90 to 95 percent of our clients are advisors, whether they're an independent advisor running their own shop or as a part of an, of an RIA or as a hybrid advisor that, that might be linked to a broker dealer.
1: Okay. And what do Um, you do for them, for us?
0: Yeah. So, so what I do for you, uh, so what we do for you is we, we do a few things. Um, We create strategies and offer them in products, both managed accounts and we recently launched or as recent as March of two, 2020, uh, launched a mutual fund uh, to very efficiently deliver the strategies that we've created and offer. Uh, And we also offer practice management services to these advisors because really we're just trying to serve our client best. And we know that our client, the advisor, has uh, so many responsibilities that they they have to take care of on a day-to-day basis. And three out of let's say four of those main, main responsibilities have nothing to do with advising and they have to do with running a business or managing a practice or managing people or managing financial controls. So what yeah, we so try tell to me do, about ho- it,
1: John, I mean, you know, yeah. I'd <laughs> like to be able to do the real work occasionally, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I understand clients and business owner things and the bookkeeping, uh, you know, questions and issues. And I, I just recently went through uh I I'm still, I'm still going through an audit with the uh, state of California. And they asked every question in the world except what's important.
0: I think you nailed it there because we, we, when we sit down with an advisor uh, over Zoom, right, it used to be in person and now it's over Zoom and hopefully we'll be in person again one day. What we want to do is we want to ask that question to them. What is your highest and best use? And nine times out of 10, and maybe it should be 10 times out of 10, the answer is, like my highest and best use is serving my clients and prospecting because these are revenue generating activities. Everything else is on the expense side of the ledger. And so we want to do our best to offer them strategies that are transparent, that are rules-based, that they can understand so that they can articulate it to the client. That's first and foremost and probably most important. But then secondly, we want to offer them tools that help help them either transition those other aspects of the business to uh, teammates or, you know, future teammates um, or outsource those to, to other parties, or if they're going to continue to do them themselves by choice or by, you know, because they're on the, on the smaller side and can't afford to bring somebody in. We want to try to make their business or help them make their business as efficient as possible.
1: Okay. So, so John, let's focus here on the uh, investment strategies part. Let's ask you this question what do you believe that you understand about investing and investment advisory practices that you wish more advisors and investors recognized and understood?
0: Boy, that's a, that's a great question. And, uh, I have a long list, um, but, <laughs> but uh, it, it, you know, pick, picking the, you know, letting, letting the one I feel most passionate about float to the top. I really think that it's, uh, it's the behavioral side of investing and how important behavior is. I think it's both the investor's behavior, but I also think it's, it's the advisor's uh, behavior as well.
1: Okay. Um, okay. The investor behavior. Not the market's behavior, not the pundit's behavior, but we're talking about the investor or the investment advisor, et cetera, right?
0: Yes, exactly. The human's response to the market. Maybe, maybe that's a better way to put it. Okay. And, and how important it is and how, you know, that is really, to me, a dependent variable when you look at all of the, the variables that, that allow a client to achieve their goals, which is the ultimate for an advisor, right? Shepherding clients towards the goal that they've, they have set for some purpose in the future. We design our strategies very much in line with that first and foremost, but in, in terms of the, the behavior side, you know, we, we have many conversations with advisors, and in some cases, advisors bring us on to have conversations with them and client, a client, or, you know, a, a segment of their clients. And by and large, we end up talking about behavior because it's the most important thing. It is the, it is the variable or the, the emotion you have relative to the market is going to determine whether or not you stick with your plan that you inevitably set in an unemotional environment and then ultimately abandon in an emotional environment. And so I think that behavior is felt. I think it's somewhat intuitive to advisors, especially that their clients are going to get nervous in March of 2020 or December of 2018. You can address behavior in multiple ways, not just give your clients a towel and tell them to to bite on the towel until markets recover. And, you know, I think unfortunately there are, that, that is the strategy for a lot of advisors and I don't think it has to be. And I don't think it works.
1: Well, you're, you're not going to hear any arguing from me uh, on that point here. (laughs) So uh, when you talk about uh, having a strategy are you talking about buying and selling, or are you talking about focusing on um, income, or are you talking about focusing on financial planning as opposed to investing itself? What, 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 what kind of behavior are you talking about?
0: Yeah, I'm talking about the, the, the biases that plague humans when presented with certain circumstances. Right? So, um, mostly I'm talking about the bad investment behavior. So, in, in behavior that shows up. Uh, when you least want it to relative to a market movement on the downside.
1: So getting out, uh, uh, you know, instead of staying the course because the signals don't really say get out, but the client is nervous, that kind of thing.
0: Precisely. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of data around the, the bar especially has put out yeah. data for years on the actual return, uh, achieved by investors in a particular fund and then the return achieved by the fund itself. And they're not the same. And the investor walks away typically with a worse return because of their behavior.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we've seen those. Okay. So that that's what you would say is uh, what you understand and believe about investing that uh, others ha- have not. Is there another one we could quickly uh, address or do you want to move on?
0: No, I think uh, another one is, is it, it really boils down to a, a common, at least for us, a very common uh, discussion around well, how do you make decisions and do you use fundamentals to make decisions or, or do you use something else? And for us, when we talk about systematic rules-based investing our the primary variable we use in designing systems, investment strategies is the price of an asset and this is sometimes, depending on the, the school the the advisor comes from. This is sometimes uh, welcomed with open arms, and sometimes is seen as you know uh, borderline uh, heresy, um, particularly for value investors. And we believe that, and think the data shows that price is it is the most important variable, it, particularly when you're trying to manage risk, because it is the only thing that can impact a client's account up or down.
1: So when you say price, are you talking about technical analysis? Not necessarily. I think technical
0: analysis uses price. I'm talking about the the value in using price as your chief input or a chief input in making decisions.
1: Okay. Using price that the price, you know, are we talking about momentum investing here? Uh, well, well we, how, we, how does one use price? I mean,
0: sure. Yeah. We take price and price is inherently noisy, right? Yeah. It's almost random yeah, uh, on a day to day. Last
1: few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. yeah, exactly. So we want to take this very random piece of data and we want to turn it into information. And so how we've chosen to do that is by, Instead of looking at the price on a day-over-day basis and trying to make decisions, we want to smooth out that price in an average and look at various averages, various lengths of averages. Some are shorter, which means they're more responsive to a daily price. And some are longer term, which doesn't respond as much to a new daily price. And we want to compare those to see what the trend of that asset class looks like.
1: Okay, so we've often heard about the golden cross, okay, the 50-day moving average uh, compared mm -hmm. to the 200-day moving average. And when one moves over, when the shorter one, 50, moves over under the 200, that's a signal. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about?
0: Yes, exactly. Okay.
1: All right, so we're talking moving averages. And um, what I would call technical analysis, but you know, uh, you know the, the, that's part of technical analysis. Okay, so you use the moving averages, and is it strictly that, or is it primarily that? Do you use other signals like the MACD or RSI or any of those things?
0: We don't. No, we just we are we are basically blending trend following, which yeah. is looking at trends and then making, letting the trend determine asset allocation decisions because we know certain characteristics of markets when they're in a rising trend state or a falling trend state. When markets fall, they fall two to three times faster than they rise. Well, as, as a risk manager, managing portfolios, that is incredibly valuable and useful information to me because once a market and I'm talking any market, whether it's equities, fixed income, you know, subsets, sectors, it it really doesn't matter. It's, it's very, these characteristics are very uniform because they're driven by people. Um, So knowing that there's more risk when a market's declining than when it's rising, I can then design a system that says, okay, when a market begins to trend down over one of the timeframes, whatever timeframe we're talking about, we, we have an intermediate term timeframe in a long-term time frame, because we don't want to be overly reliant on just one system. We basically allow the trend of each of the asset classes we look at, which we look at the eight major asset classes, and we allow trend to dictate whether or not we're changing our allocation or uh, maintaining our allocation to one of those asset classes.
1: So you use indexes via um, ETFs?
0: We do. Yes, in our in our mutual fund, one of the things that we've done. So the the two ways we deliver strategies are separately managed accounts, which use ETFs, low cost. They're all free to trade now, but that wasn't the case, you know, a year ago. Right. And uh, index-based ETFs. We like indexes because you know there's no tracking error, and so we we get exactly uh, the return that we expect. It doesn't mean that it doesn't go up and it doesn't go down. It just means that it can't deviate from itself. Now inside of our fund, what we've done is we've, we think is pretty, is innovative because we, well, we can't find anybody else that, that does it quite like this is we started to, we break apart the index. So instead of using the E the, ex, instead of expressing the index through an ETF, what we do is we use all of the underlying stocks in the index and we trend follow those to get our exposure the bottom line is in everything we do trend following is present but so is a strategic asset allocation model which is effectively buy and hold we take the two and we blend them together
1: okay well john that's very interesting we need to move on with two more questions here Uh, what major objections do you Uh, typically run into most often by people who are our potential clients here, the advisor firms?
0: I think there are a few come to mind. The the first is um, our use of of tactics. I mean, when you think about, and that comes through trend following, like we just discussed. Uh When you think about, we think about tactics or trend following as risk management constructs it's going to preserve capital that are going to preserve our compounding over time and provide less variability of returns to the end investor, giving them a better shot of meeting their goals. This is why we do it. The, the objection from some advisors is, well, okay, but I haven't really needed that since 2009. What, why did, why should I just all of a sudden start needing it now? Hasn't the world changed And our response to that is, that's fair, although in there have been pockets, you know, Q4, Q3 of 2011, Q4 of 2018, and uh, certainly Q1 of 2020, risk management was needed in, in those scenarios because you cannot manage risk in hindsight. And so you don't know where the eventual bottom will be in any market that's going down. Right. So the objection there is why do I need insurance? I haven't had a flood in 12 years and all of a sudden you show up and you want to try to sell me some flood insurance.
1: Right. You know,
0: why would I all of a sudden need that? You know, and the other, the other objection for us is uh, one, one that's a little bit more tractable and, and solvable, which is, Hey, I'm bought into this guys. This is great, but I can't access you because I don't do managed accounts or I don't do managed accounts or mutual funds. So, what about an ETF? So we've, we're really trying to uh, solve for that friction by continuing to introduce new products, trying to innovate in those new products and make sure that we're accessible to anyone who wants to access us.
1: Okay. So, so let's ask this, what, what do you recall as uh, the best advice you've heard, read or received about investing?
0: Yeah, I've had been fortunate to have a lot of great mentors, uh, both mentors, you know, in in an actual relationship, and then mentors because people have been generous enough to put their their thoughts and experiences down in books or podcasts or you know, email. I think the the best advice that I've ever received about investing is um, <laughs> it, it it sounds trite, but it comes from a quote. I think the quote is from Ed Sakoda, uh, who's sort of a well-known trend follower, and I'm sure he got it somewhere else, but the quote is, is this and it's um, there are old traders and there are bold traders, but there are no old, bold traders.
1: I've heard that and about
0: pilots. Exactly. And, 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 and so for me, you know, that's easy for me to remember, first of all, because I have three young kids and my memory isn't what it used to be. Uh, but, you know, it really sums up the fact that risk is the most important thing, yeah. right? And the key to longevity in, I believe, in investing is survival. Yep. And that's why I'll say probably 10 more times on this, on your show and, and others is preserving compounding by keeping yourself out of catastrophic losses way is for us, you know, addresses the main risk that investors face, which is the loss of compounding due to catastrophic losses.
1: Okay. Very interesting to tell us what, what keeps you awake at night, John, other than your three well, two, kids.
0: Well, yeah, the, the three kids I talked about before. Um, <laughs> no, they just uh, <laughs> um, wait till
1: they're teenagers, John.
0: Then you'll find out
1: why why (laughs) parents of teenagers look like they're sleep deprived.
0: I've heard this. (laughs) I've heard that. Um, You know, it's one of those things that you know to be true, but you don't really understand. It's just like, (laughs) you know, pre-kids, right? Like, yeah, I know what sleep deprivation is. (laughs) Not really. Well, the thing that keeps me up at night is something that that we talked about a few minutes ago, or at least alluded to it, which is there is a widespread. I don't know how widespread, so I don't want to make this uniform statement. But in our experience, in our world, there seems to be this wide, widely held belief that stocks always come back after a decline. <laughs> this belief has been, I think, it really encouraged and reinforced since since the financial crisis. Also reinforced by recent experience because the V-shaped nature of the decline and recovery we've had both in 18, 20 in 2011. The, the fact is that without unprecedented Fed and government intervention in, in, in March and in April, uh, the drawdown in U S stocks could have been significantly worse than it was. It was about yes. 35% peak to trough in the S and P and beyond 35, you really start moving into the territory where the each incremental percentage loss starts to work against you exponentially. Yes. Right. Meaning you need more and more to recover. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't, I'm not suggesting that future market environments aren't subject to these won't repeat. You know, we could have a drawdown that looks like a V-shaped recovery starting today, but that is to me is a, is a terrible bet to make because we know that we have heard the the saying that or the adage that, you know, history um, won't repeat repeat itself, but it it might rhyme. Right. And I think that investors can get lulled to sleep thinking that um, every time we have a drawdown, six trillion of uh, stimulus is going to get added to the economy and then we're not going to have a drawdown anymore.
1: Yeah. And, and, and you know, John, I, I think we have both found that those very same people who say, well, if the market drops, it always comes back. I'll just sit and, you know, and it'll come back. They seem to be the first ones to panic when it actually <laughs> happens, right? Yeah, yeah, You know, and well, yeah, hey, yeah. why didn't you get us out soon? Well, you know, well, you know, you were the one that kept saying market always comes back. Yeah, but that was before we knew that. You
0: know. Well, look, that's because that philosophy is is one of built on a foundation of sinking sand. Yeah, you know, it it, is. there isn't. It is not foundational in the data. It is a good story. And people who push stocks need good stories, Um, and and so you know that it it feels good that saying that and hearing that feels good, but the fact is is that the last ten or twelve years of market returns and market risk are not a guide for the next ten. Yeah. So,
1: So, uh, one question we like to ask all of our clients, all of our our. our, uh, our guests. So what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners here?
0: The books that I've enjoyed the most, or maybe the ones that have had the most impact on me, uh, were early on. So there's a book uh, that really chronicles uh, uh, an old trader named Jesse Livermore called Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. Yeah, That book is great because it tells good stories. It highlights behavior and risk in a way that's not as nerdy as I've done it here in the last 20 minutes. And it really shows, you know, the thinking process for a great investor or great trader like Jesse Livermore. Um, okay. and then another book that's had a big influence on me was the original and maybe the second market wizards, uh, uh-huh. books written by Jack Schwager. Cause again, you know, that, that book market wizards really told me that, Look, there are many, many ways to make money in markets, but the guys who have, and the men and women who have done it most successfully, typically have a worldview. They have a set of rules and a system, you know, using air quotes that they follow, that they remain disciplined to and tethered to in emotional environments. But the, the tactics behind that in some cases can be wildly different. Yeah. And so it, the most important thing is to, be, uh, is to have a process that fits you, that you can execute regardless of what's going on around you. Yeah, those books have really made, a, made an impact on me.
1: Okay. So, John, uh, final words. For, well, well g- give us your website and contact information for those who'd like to know more.
0: Sure, yeah. Contact information can be found on the website, which is uh, blueprint IP. Dot com. That's Blueprint Investment Partners, but we shorten it to BlueprintIP.com.
1: And if somebody uh, really likes your voice and how you say things, how can they contact you directly or or someone yeah. at the firm directly?
0: Sure. Yeah, well, you can go through the website to contact us. All of our emails are there. I can tell you my email now is uh, John J. Lynn. Robinson at BlueprintIP.com.
1: Appreciate that. So how about final words for our listeners here?
0: I would say uh, as, as a final thought, you know, it, we're recording this in January of 2021. Uncertainty is is always, seems to always be at a heightened level uh, in the present. Uh, but now it seems as heightened as ever. And I would just encourage all investors, including advisors to revisit your portfolios, revisit your goals and make sure that you are in the right vessel to achieve your ultimate destination and be honest about that assessment Uh, leaving aside adages leaving aside dogma leaving aside all of the things that can uh, bias your opinion um, i would encourage all investors to really get you know their pencils sharpened and get serious about future risk and how they will go about handling those risks in their portfolios because it could be if you're a retiree or near retirement could be the difference in uh, having to work an extra five to six years where you didn't, if you suffer a drawdown uh, because you're planning on living off from the income, off the income from your portfolio. And that's a real risk and, and it's preventable. Yeah. So that, those are my final thoughts.
1: Okay. Well, John, thank you very much. We really appreciate you uh, being with us here today and we hope that you uh, your favorite football, well, now basketball teams in North Carolina <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do well as, as they perennially do. And uh, we appreciate you being here. And our best wishes for your continued success there with uh, Blueprint Investment Partners. So thanks for joining us today.
0: Yeah, you bet, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I had fun.
1: Good. Uh, for all of our listeners, this has been Strategic Investor Radio on OC talk radio. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, info at strategic radio.com would be an email you can use and you're welcome to go to our website and listen to any or all of the interviews and podcasts and shows strategic investor radio.com. I'm Charlie Wright wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing.